0: Please return to your seats and remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's reading is Luke 7, 40 to 43. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students, you may head to the lobby and meet your teachers. The rest of us may be seated.
1: Well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. Happy Mother's Day it 's good to be here with you all. Uh, if you guys were here last week, then you realize that May is national foster care Awareness Month, and so Jeremy led us in a beautiful, beautiful prayer and challenge last week that um, that really resonated with us, and as we 've heard from you guys with so many and so Today we want to continue acknowledging uh, this Foster Care Awareness Month, and so we have the honor here at Grace to, to be a church that has a long, long history of having her members who have chosen to become resource parents. Uh, currently we do have one family who is actively fostering, and very exciting, we have two families who are in the process of becoming licensed to foster. Yeah. Yeah, that's something we clap for here. When we hear one another serving our community the ways that Jesus serves us, that's something that we get excited for, and we clap and we yell and we, we do those things. So don't be shy about that. For so many families, uh, we do have the opportunity to do things like child dedications, but we understand that as foster families, they don't have an opportunity to do that. So we do want to honor those families by actually commissioning them. We believe that this is one of the ways that we can tangibly demonstrate the love of Christ for all people. And so uh, those families are here with us for sake of privacy, of protected information. We're not asking them to stand or do any of those things. Some of you guys know who they are. You love them. You support them well. Some of you will learn who they are and you will love them and you will support them well. For all of us, we know that they're here. And as Jeremy said last week, God may be inviting us to similar things. So we're going to pray for those families who um, have committed, who are in the process of committing, and we're also going to pray for those families who God may be inviting to foster as well. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the families you have called to say yes to becoming resource parents. We mourn the reasons that this role is even needed, and yet we are grateful for these families' willingness to open up their homes and their hearts to children who just need safe and loving homes for a season. We pray for wisdom and discernment for each yes given to a child in need. We pray for a blessing of protection over their homes, their marriages, their families. And we pray that as we continue to move into this space, help us to welcome these kids as you have welcomed us. Help us to care for these families as you care for us. Help us to champion reconciliation as you are the one who is reconciling all things. In Jesus, we continue this prayer. Should we help? Should I help? We invite you to speak clearly. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're continuing our series in the book of Luke. And I have a question for you guys, and uh, if you've been around, you've heard me preach before, you realize this is not gonna be a rhetorical question. I'm gonna ask you to talk to people around you. This is the question today. The question is, who would be the absolute worst fictional character to invite to a party? Who would be the worst fictional character to invite to a party? Take 30 seconds, turn to someone around you, talk about it, and then you get to share it with the group. Worst fictional character to invite to a party. About 15 more seconds, 15 seconds. All right. If you're just coming in, the question was, worst fictional character to invite to a party? Who's feeling brave? What'd you guys come up with? Yeah. Scrooge, like from uh, Charles Dickens, or like Scrooge McDuck? Both of them, both of them, good. Thanos, yes, he could just snap everyone away. What do you got? I didn't hear you. Dracula, that would be horrible. That would be horrible, yep. Hannibal like we're getting dark here in my mind this was gonna go like oh the Tasmanian devil no no no. Y- yes great minds great minds all the way in the back Taz also S- sweet say it again Pennywise that's terrifying kids are getting. sorry we should have done like a, a prepare the parents whose kids are in here sorry about that Judah it's your birthday what, what's your answer Kirby from Smash Bros, because he would just eat everything? Yes. All right, one more. Oh, if you know Harry Potter, you know what that means. I haven't read it. Okay, sorry. This is the last one. Yep. The devil. Scary. Also arguably not fictional, but I like where you're going with it. Yes. Awesome. Why on earth would we talk about this in church? Uh, Because this is what happens in the story we're gonna encounter today. Not a fictional character, but a real character who was uh, not actually invited, but showed up to a party in Jesus's time. And and this person, as we'll see, is one of those people that you're like, no, 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 do not, do not invite them. This is not good, this is not safe, this is not fun for anyone, right? We have those people that like, oh, you know if you invite them, it's gonna be a fun party. This is the opposite of that. This is like if this person walks in, the party is over. So let's jump into our text so you guys can see what I mean here. We're picking up in Luke chapter 7. I'm embarrassed to say I did not look up the page number in the something 64. 864, thank you so much. 864, we're on page 864, picking up in Luke chapter 7. We're going to start with verse 36 is what Luke tells us when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him he went to the Pharisees house and reclined at the table a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees house so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume As she stood behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears then she wiped them with her hair kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. So the story picks up, Jesus, his fame has been spreading, he's been doing what he told us he would all the way back in Luke chapter 4. He was going to tell people about the kingdom of God, and he was going to demonstrate the kingdom of God. And when that happens, people notice. So crowds are forming, Jesus is trending, Jesus is buzzworthy at this point, and everyone is talking about Jesus. So now we're introduced to this Pharisee named Simon who invites Jesus into his home for a party. This was a custom of the day. Whenever there was someone of of note, someone of high prestige, they would be invited in, possibly even for public debate, to talk about different ideas, to see what this new person had to say. So most likely that's probably the context in which we find this dinner party. This Pharisee, This leader of the religious elite, the scholar of the law has invited Jesus in. And a lot of times, if you've been around church, you know, Pharisees are just painted as like the villains, the bad guys. We don't necessarily get that here yet. We get somebody who has invited Jesus in, who's shown some hospitality, some, we'll learn more about that in a bit, and who may be actually genuinely curious What the Pharisees cared about very deeply was purity. They wanted God's people to remain pure, undefiled by outsiders, undefiled even by themselves because God's people have a history in their relationship with God of when they obey God, things go well, and when they disobey God, things don't go well, even to the point of outside kingdoms coming in and conquering them and carrying them into captivity, So this isn't just because they're jerks. There's a reason that they cared about purity, that they have high standards of holiness for themselves and for others. And in she walked. A woman who had a reputation A woman who was uninvited, at the very least, that alone would be scandalous, but she was known by her profession, the oldest profession in the world, so to speak. I'm trying to be careful here as we do have children present. A woman who sold herself for money. She has a history. She has a reputation. She's known in the community, and now we have Simon the Pharisee. What will he do? With this person, who's inviting not just a, a bad reputation on him as she enters into his home, but but uncleanness. He wouldn't be allowed to participate in certain things because of the uncleanness she brought in. Jesus says, "I have something to tell you," and we're going to see this, this f- story unfold. What's happening is Jesus is beginning to challenge Simon. Now, I want to help us think about this challenge. What we don't see is Jesus coming in, guns blazing, dropping the hammer. We don't see a Jesus of wrath in this story, we see a Jesus of challenge. A Jesus who, as we'll see, begins to understand what Simon is thinking, and and he pushes against it. He pushes against what Simon is clutching to so that he can push him towards God's kingdom, and then Simon gets to decide how he'll respond. You see, Jesus challenges, and church, so should we. For a lot of us, that's why we're here. We've been challenged by Jesus at some point. At some point in our life, things were going in one direction and we knew that it was not heading in a great direction. Jesus challenged us and we changed course. For some of us, for some of us we had those areas of brokenness, those areas of dysfunction, those sin patterns that were repeated over and over and over and Jesus, in his love, not shame, Not anger, not wrath, but Jesus in his love provided a challenge to us. Maybe it was that moment in the middle of the night on your knees when you cried out to God. Maybe it was somebody who spoke hard truth to you that you needed to hear. But here's the reality Jesus challenges us, and so should we. Now, this can get a little uncomfortable. Because what does this mean to challenge one another? Especially for so many of us who have not experienced that being done well in a church setting. So many of us who have experienced what we would identify as spiritual abuse. How do we challenge one another without it drifting into something that's actually ungodly, unholy, pushing us farther away from the kingdom, not pushing us towards the kingdom? Now, if you're like me, here's the temptation. Because it's not done well all the time, I shy away from it. Because I know I have a history and so many others have a history of not challenging one another well, not holding one another accountable well, then it's like, ah, I don't know, I don't know. That's like an antiquated thing that churches used to do in the past, and it was really heavy handed and ugly, and I'm just nervous to step into that. Here's the deal. If we follow Jesus, we act like Jesus. Are there plenty of passages that talk about Jesus' love and welcome and kindness and compassion? Yes, 100%. And there are other passages that talk about Jesus challenging, holding people accountable, speaking truth to power, calling out sin for what it is. So as God's people, we show the love and we show the compassion and we show the welcome and we also display the challenge, right? That's actually loving. So um, two weeks ago, I preached and and Van uh, was helping us before service and he said something to me that like totally blew my mind. He said, when you don't tuck the cord in of your microphone in the back, it looks like a giant tail is hanging out. I've been here for 18 months and no one but Van last week told me that. Thanks a lot, guys. (laughs) Have you had moments like this? You've been out all day, you've seen your friends, you've been at work, whatever, you get home and like, there's the booger, there's the thing in your teeth that no one said anything about. I see a lot of nods. I'm glad I'm not alone here. Thank you. It's actually loving to let somebody know, not just in the humorous things. It's actually loving to let somebody know when they are in sin. Now, there's a way we can do it. There's a posture that we should have as we are challenging. And it's the same posture that Jesus has one of kindness, one of welcome, one of love and grace and compassion and humility, but also, church, one of truth. I, I struggle with this as a dad. I struggle because we, we go through this pattern, maybe some of you can relate, where like, I'll tell my kids something, sorry guys, and they don't listen, then I'll like, tell them again, and I'm being really kind, and I'm being really, and then I tell them again, 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 and as you can hear, my voice gets raised, and they're like, Dad, why are you yelling at us? <laughs> We've literally had this conversation at the table, where they're like, Dad, we don't like it when you're angry, and I'm like, guys, This is what happens. I try to tell you something, and they like started fooling around. Like, guys, I'm trying to talk to you. Guys, guys, why are you yelling? Like literally, this is what I'm saying. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Here's the deal. My wife comes alongside and she says, Hey, you're right. And your posture is horrible. You're right, and as you want to display a patient God to them, you are not patient. You're right, and as a father who values displaying the kindness of God to your children, you're not being kind. Now, does that mean my children get to run all over us? No, we're the parents. But I can challenge them in a better posture. I can challenge them in a way that is more Christ like. I can challenge them in a way that I would want to be challenged. With love and kindness and patience and grace. All right, Jesus challenges us, so should we. Let's see how Jesus challenges Simon. We're going to pick up <clears throat> in verse 41, Luke chapter 7, verse 41. Do you see this woman? Not have you heard about this woman? Do you see this woman? I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Here's a reality. Jesus forgives, and church, so should we. Jesus is aware of this woman's reputation, Jesus is aware of what she's done, Jesus is aware of how her reputation has spread. The fact that she has this large jar of perfume would suggest that she is a successful businesswoman, if you understand what I'm getting at. Jesus is aware. There, there is a scandal here. For this woman, who she is, to be in this position, uninvited at this party, doing what she's doing at the feet of Jesus, letting her hair down, has cultural implications. That are um, not things that we would talk about in church. This is a scandal. And as Jesus is calling Simon the Pharisee and the other guests at the party, he is doing the same thing. He says, Do you see her? Do you see who she is? Do you see that she's more than just her actions? Do you ask the questions of why she would enter into this business in the first place? Why she would stay? What would draw her? She knows her reputation. If everyone else knows her reputation, she knows her reputation. What would motivate her to come to the feet of Jesus? What was she thinking about as those tears were falling? What a posture of worship to dry his feet with her hair. Have you been moved like that? I have to ask myself, have I been moved like that at the feet of Jesus? Knowing that he sees me. That he sees the things that I do that I don't want to admit at church. That he knows those things and he still invites me in. That he still welcomes me with open arms. This is something that we talk about week in and week out. God loves you, God forgives you. And for so many of us who have been around year after year after year, we hear the messages, we know the things it's it's here, but we pray that God continues to move it here to our hearts. We know the theological truths that that God removes sin as far as the east is away from the west and the reason that's the image, not north from south, because we can measure north from south but we can't measure east from, we know all of the things but do we feel those things? Are we willing to be vulnerable to display our worship of Jesus? Are we willing to look like a fool because we're so moved by the way God knows us and he still loves us. Sometimes it's more mind-boggling to me not that he loves me, but that he likes me. It feels almost like obligatory, right? Like if God's the father, like the father has to love the kids, right? But he, he not only loves you, he likes you. He prefers you. He wants to be with you. He calls his followers his friends at the end of John. When God looks at you, He knows the things that you've done. And he still smiles. He still feels joy in his belly. That's what this woman has experienced. That's why she doesn't care about the Pharisees. She doesn't care about the cultural standards. She doesn't care what it means that she lets her hair down. She comes to the feet of Jesus and weeps with joy because he forgives her in church. He forgives you. And so because he forgives us, we should forgive one another. Because he has canceled that debt, because he has removed that burden that we have carried for so long, we are to operate in the same manner, forgiving one another. When we think of the things that we hold against one another, these things that we cling on to, the challenges that most of the time you're right, You shouldn't forgive. You should be angry. You have every right to be. Here's the kicker. God shouldn't forgive us either. But he demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so as we are a people who are forgiven, we are a people also who are called to forgive one another to be moved with joy at this truth. It's not just theology we read in a textbook, it has real life implications for me and for you. It's not easy, but if Jesus forgives us, then he calls us to forgive one another as well. And so we're left, at this dinner party, We have Simon who's being challenged. We have this woman who's being forgiven. And and then we have like everyone else who's just kind of watching this thing unfold. And and here's the deal. Jesus doesn't like really tie a bow on it. It's kind of open-ended. Hey, if you've experienced a lot of forgiveness, then you're gonna forgive and you're gonna have a lot of love. And if you haven't really experienced forgiveness or at least not that much because you can't admit that there's not that much you need to be forgiven of, you're probably not gonna feel very loving or very forgiving. And then everyone, I imagine, because it doesn't say this in the text, is just kind of looking around at each other like, well, that was awkward. Like, what now? And that's the question, church. What now? Has Jesus challenged you? Has Jesus forgiven you? What now? Luke doesn't have to answer it for us because we answer it with our actions every day. What now? Jesus loves you. What now? Jesus forgives you, what now? Jesus challenges you, what now? Who will you be? What will your family look like? What will your community look like? If Jesus is active, then it should look like him. If he's not, then don't be surprised that it doesn't look like him. If he's not working in here, he's not gonna be working in here. Make sense? So the challenge here is as we follow Jesus, what will this look like? Luke tells us in the beginning of chapter 8. Luke says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. Pause. Think about the 12. The tax collector who works for the Roman Empire exploiting his own people was with them. The zealot who was always armed so that he could violently overthrow the empire was with them. The blue-collar workers who probably still smelled like fish were with them. The randoms that no other rabbi wanted were with him. The followers who got it wrong and then got it wrong and then got it wrong and then got it wrong were with them. The people who, even though they saw the resurrected Jesus in a few chapters, still didn't quite get it fully were with him the motley crew was with him the randoms were with him the overlooked were with him the left behind and the left out were with him the forgiven were with him were called by name were invited to follow that them that's not it the 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of all evil spirits and diseases if you think you're messed up mary called magdalene from whom seven demons had come out She was with him. Joanna, the wife of Cazza, the manager of Herod's household, somebody who was oppressing God's people, manager of his house, his wife was with them. We talk about diversity now. Jesus got this thing a long time ago. Susanna and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Wealthy women were supporting the ministry of Jesus. Okay, what I did not say is the religious leaders of the day who were paid to study the word of God, they were not the ones. The, uh, the men who were leading the community, those with military might and power, not them. The smart ones, the philosopher, no, no, not them. The women who were overlooked who still found a way to make a lot of money to be financially successful in a society that put up barrier after barrier, obstacle after obstacle in front of them. They were the ones who were supporting Jesus. They got something about Jesus that other people didn't get. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? Your friends are random. Your friends are not who you would expect. Your friends probably don't look like you or act like you or think like you or vote like you or talk like you. Because that's who God calls. He doesn't just call you. He doesn't just call the people that you like to hang out with. He calls lots of different kinds of people. And together they form this beautiful tapestry, this beautiful mosaic of who God's people are. And this is a taste of what the kingdom will look like. The kingdom is not monolithic because God is so much bigger than we are. The kingdom is not all the same because God is infinite. The kingdom is not just for who we're comfortable with because guess what? Other people aren't comfortable with you. But the kingdom is for all of us. The kingdom is for those of us who have been challenged by Jesus. The kingdom is for those of us who have been forgiven by Jesus. The kingdom is welcoming because if he welcomes us in, Then odds are he's going to welcome other people in too. And so, as we move into our ministry time, church, this is what I want to leave us with these truths that because Jesus loves you, he challenges you. Because Jesus loves you, he forgives you. And because Jesus loves you, he welcomes you. And if it's true for you, then it's true for us. If it's true for us, It's true for our city. It's true for those around us, those that Jesus has put us in the lives of, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, our family members, our friends, our pickleball squad, our fantasy football, whatever you do for fun. Jesus has sent you in those areas. He's asking you to challenge as he has challenged you. He's asking you to forgive as he has forgiven you. He's asking you to welcome as he has welcomed you. And here's the tough part. We hear it and we go, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's not what we're here for. We're not here to listen and nod our heads and go on about our business. We show up because we expect Jesus to do something. We expect the spirit to move. We expect the Father to reveal himself to us. And so I want to ask you, which of these is the hardest for you to actually hear? Not just to listen to, but to actually hear, to feel. Is it the challenge of Jesus? Are there those things that you have been trying to like, you know, I know Jesus knows everything, but not this thing. I I got like my secret box that I'm not giving over to Jesus. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the challenge. Maybe it's this forgiveness. In church, it goes both ways, right? Maybe the hard thing is that Jesus forgives you. And he means it. You're forgiven. Maybe the hard thing is that he's calling you to forgive someone else. Maybe it's that welcome piece. Maybe you can remember what somebody did so long ago and they just, ugh, they're still here. How could they still be here? Maybe Jesus is calling you to welcome them and forgive them. So we're going to take a few moments, and we're going to listen, because we serve a God who still speaks today. We serve a God who is here and active and wants your life, every part of it. And we're confident that he's going to reveal something. And then here comes the actually really scary part. We're going to ask you to pray with somebody about those things. Now, this may feel uncomfortable. You may not know the people around you. There's gonna be a prayer team. They're really great. They're like the best prayers ever. Um, They're gonna be on either side. So if if God is stirring something and you know you need prayer, you feel it right now, you know that you need to get up even though you don't want to, there's gonna be our prayer team. You guys can come up now. They'll be on either side of the sanctuary and they would love to pray for you. Sometimes we don't have the words. We need somebody else to say those things to God on our behalf. If that's you, I know you know it here are people who are very kind and would love to pray with you. And so Dave and the band are gonna play some music, we're gonna listen, we're gonna hear from God, and then we're gonna respond in prayer for one another. Amen? Amen.